for starting late but uh we had to we're switched they switched over the way they handle our live stream which is great but they did it right before easter which is not great and it's streaming on our website right now but it's not streaming on our facebook page so that'll give me something to work on all day tomorrow as i throw a computer through a win- window um uh so if it, i will try not to break a stained glass window it'd just be a regular window um but it is streaming out but i'm trying to get it set up for sunday as we get started no wednesday next week because of monday thursday that'll be at six o'clock that's a communion service of course it'll be a little different because we'll use our uh little chalices and and y'all ought to thank me for not being the stingy person that i am because i buy those little chalice ones and they're about twice as much as the other ones but I went to Batesville to do a Lenten lunch the other day, and they had the other kind, 
which look like the little cups, and they've got cellophane, and then they've got the wafer, and then another thing of cellophane. It took me a good two and a half minutes to open that. And I don't have arthritis, and my, my fingers work. And uh, the person next to me had crushed their cup and handed it to me to open, and I thought, well, that defeats the whole purpose. I might as well just stick my hand in your mouth and, and wipe it around. Um, so the reason I ordered these is, one, they look, they look nice, but secondly, they're really easy to open. They, and, if I, and if I didn't get the gluten-free kind, they'd actually taste okay. <laughs> but the gluten-free wafer is, oof, um, it, is, it doesn't taste like much of anything. I often feel like it would be what a hamster pellet, what they, what they eat, what it would taste like. We'll eventually get back to regular communion stuff, but uh, that works for now. So when you come in on Monday, Thursday, look for our bowl back there. We'll take that before we move into our Tenebrae service. But that's next Thursday night at 6. Uh, our last noontime prayer service was today. We won't have one next week for Holy Week. It'll just be that Monday, Thursday uh, service. So tonight, uh, we, I had to skip one because we ended up missing a week uh, when I was at spring break. But the one I really wanted to talk about on a, on a Wednesday night, and we'll, do, we'll get to prayer right after I tell you what we're going to do. Um, I like the final words of Jesus. I like to look at those. And what I mean by that is the things he said on the, on the cross. There, if you've ever... Uh, one, one year for Lenten uh, series, the church I was at when I was at St. Mark's on the reservoir... Each pastor, we had two or three pastors there, each pastor took two of the, the, the seven last sayings of Jesus, and then one of the other uh, staff members took another one. So we went through each week and hit one. We're going to hit all of them tonight. It's going to be kind of a high look. Uh, we're going to look at it some from the perspective of Adam Hamilton had a, had a series called The Final Words on the Cross. I'm not going to take everything he said uh, and use it, but I did want to use a little bit of that uh, tonight as we get into to this. But let's open with a word of prayer. This is the first time my standing position has been in the stream of the sunlight. So I'm going to back up. Because I, I know, well, that's, dis- that's disappointing. Um, <laughs> hold up, I got another one back here. I'll just get... I could, I could, but then my head's probably off the video if I do that. By about 6.30, I'll have it all together and we'll be able to, to get into this Bible study. Here we go. I use this one tonight. I like the other one better. It's heavier, but this one will lift up for me. All right. Let's open with a, a word of prayer as we get started. Lord, we are thankful for the evening and the chance to gather. And as we we move really closely to Holy Week, we pray that you would speak to us in a a way that, that grabs our attention. We so quickly and often just gloss over the pain and agony of your death that we don't fully enjoy your resurrection. So show show us, reveal to us the, the depth of your love the uh, links of your sacrifice and the amazing way in which you brought us back into relationship with you. These things we ask and pray in your name. 
Amen. All right, so, ooh, now my words are lit up. I can see everything. As we get started tonight, we're going to talk about those first words that Jesus said on the cross. So if, or, or said on, as, he was, as he was being placed on the cross. If we, if we think about it, we're pretty familiar with the crucifixion story. There, there, the, the week we had to miss was the trial. And, and it's important for us to understand the trial uh, of Jesus and, and, and to understand why Jesus was crucified by the Romans. Don't get fooled into thinking that the Jews crucified Jesus. The Jews did not have power to crucify Jesus. They did not have execution power. They were vassals in a totalitarian state that was overseen by Rome, and Rome would give them a permission to do things, but they didn't do anything without Rome telling them. And so that's why they kept bringing him back to Herod. But remember, uh, I mean, kept bringing him back to Pilate. But do you remember what Pilate kept saying as they kept bringing him back? This is not a Roman issue. This is a you issue. And why was it a you issue? Because Rome dealt with politics and the Jews dealt with religion. Rome tried to stay out of their religion. Rome, unlike some of the other ruling authorities of the ancient world, let you keep your stuff. They didn't care whether you you worshipped your gods. Now, they may have wanted you to worship their gods too, but they didn't care if you had your gods the Greeks, on the other hand, the Greek Empire, when they came in, they wanted you to do away with your gods, and they wanted to install their gods, and you couldn't keep doing what you were doing. The Persians kind of left you alone uh, to do your own thing, uh, but Rome would kind of leave it alone. So when they kept bringing Jesus back to Pilate, he'd go, this is a religious matter. So the Jews had to figure out, or the Jewish, not the Jews, but the Jewish authority, the religious authority, had to figure out how to make it a Rome problem. So how did they make it a Rome problem? Anybody remember? He claims to be a king, which takes it away from religious and makes it political. And then they appeal to the one thing that the Romans feared more than anything anything else in all the world any roman governor feared one thing above all well they feared rome but rome basically gave the governors one instruction and one instruction only well two 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 instructions collect taxes and no insurrection collect taxes and don't make us send the 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 military in because if you make us in the military and that costs resources and time and effort and we're trying to conquer more, so no revolts. So they said Jesus is a king. He claims to be a king and what? The people are starting to get agitated. If you're a ruling power and they tell you that the people are agitated, what do you want to do? Who is Jesus? I don't, I don't care who he is. Get rid of him. And that's what happened. Pilate says, I wash my hands, but basically what he does is he condemns him to death because he tells the Jews, you do whatever you want with him. And he knew what they wanted to do with him. So this fake trial, but Pilate gets frustrated with Jesus. Why? 
Because Pilate goes, I'm trying to save your life. And Jesus goes, you, you can't save or take my life. It's not yours to take. And that aggravates him too because Rome, if there's anything a Roman wants to be, it's revered. They don't want to be looked, uh, looked down or spoken down to. That sends Jesus uh, away. That's also why Pilate gives him the option. He goes to the crowd and lets them choose. Barabbas or Jesus? Now, he thinks he knows which way the crowd's going to go, but he doesn't. Why is Barabbas more popular than Jesus with the crowd? Barabbas was an insurgent. He was a uh, terrorist of sorts. Now, if you're in an occupied land and there's a somebody that's really sticking it to Rome who's fixing to be executed and you got this other fellow that's a, a rabbi and a teacher, who, who would you rather release? I'd rather release the one that's freedom fighting, so to speak. If Jesus isn't going to do something, then give me Barabbas. And that's what they do. Now we get to the point of crucifixion. And the first part, uh, the first words spoken are from Luke's gospel, the 23rd chapter, beginning with verse 26, and then I'm going to skip ahead to 33 and 34. So Luke 23, uh, verse 26, and then 33 through 34. And it says this, As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We're all familiar with that scriptural passage. But does anything stand out to you in that? I would point out the fact that the first words spoken by Jesus on the cross are a prayer. That's the first thing he does. He utters a prayer, and it's about the one thing that he emphasizes over and over and over again in scriptures, which is that one of the key tenets of faith is what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is an essential part. I'll have folk come up to me sometimes and go, uh, Paul tells us not to take communion unworthily, right? And they go, I don't feel worthy to come take communion. I, it's so holy. I don't, and I'll have folk go, I just don't feel uh, right coming and take communion. I'm not righteous enough or holy enough. And I go, that's not what Paul was talking about. Paul was talking about if you've got a problem with your brother or sister, leave communion, go fix it, and then come back and take it. Because Paul understood what Jesus understands, which is forgiveness is at the cornerstone of a Christian walk. And if anybody has a right to be angry or bitter, see in our world today, we got a lot of angry and bitter folk. I mean, you watch the news. It's anger and bitterness and hatred and, and short-temperedness and all this other stuff. And, and I think... Uh, how many of y'all have ever seen the movie Sea Biscuit? If you hadn't Sea Biscuit, it's about a horse. If you hadn't watched Sea Biscuit, you ought to go watch it. Fantastic movie, and I say fantastic because it's one of my favorites. I've watched it like nine hundred bajillion times. 
And when I say 900 bajillion, that is not, that is not an exaggeration. I think it is, Emily, if Emily comes in the living room and I'm watching Seabiscuit, she just keeps on going because I'm going to watch it. But there's a jockey, the, the funny part about it, they go, our horse is too small, our jockey's too big, our trainer's too old. But the jockey, he's good at riding horses, but he's, he's like my size. And jockeys are supposed to be like, like this big. So nobody ever gives him a chance. And in order to make money during the Depression, he gets, in a lot of, he gets abandoned by his family. And then he goes into Mexico to ride horses. And there's, spoiler alert, and there, there's a lot of fighting. And there's a point in the movie where, where the jockey gets his buttons pushed. And he starts screaming and lashing out at everybody. And the guy who owns the horse, who's kind of like the father figure of the of, of, of the whole movie, Jeff Bridges' character, comes up to him and grabs him by the shoulder like a dad does. You know what I'm talking about? Just grabs and squeezes the shoulder, and he goes, Son, son, what are you so mad at? And he starts to fight him. He goes, What are you so mad about? And he goes, It's okay. I, I think Jesus wants to realize, even if we're justified in our anger, even if we're justified in our bitterness, the first thing his, his cross experience shows us is you don't get to move on until you move on. You don't get to move on until you have forgiven. Now, I didn't say the other F word, and I don't mean the ugly one that you might be thinking. I didn't say forget. If somebody wrongs you, you don't have to forget about it. In fact, you'd be dumb if you forgot about it, because then they may do it again. But you have to forgive. I was watching a documentary on Netflix about, it's called Murder Among Mormons, which was a weird title. That's the title got me. And y'all may remember this. I, I don't guess I'm old, old enough. It happened in the 80s. And there was this guy that was forging all these Mormon documents, and then in order to cover it up, he started sending bombs out. And... and and this woman was being interviewed uh, on the thing, and, and, she, uh, and, and she was the wife of one of the people killed. And then they were interviewing somebody else that, that, that he had stolen a lot of money from and ruined financially. And, and it struck me what the, the, the woman said first. She said, she said, I forgive him. I don't want to talk to him, but I forgive him. And then they talked to the other guy, and he goes... He ruined me financially, but I wasn't going to let him ruin my family, and I wasn't going to let him ruin my, my business, and I wasn't going to let him ruin my, my life, and I wasn't going to let him ruin my joy. He said, I had to let it go. So the first words of Jesus on the cross are, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus also re realizes that the religious people think what? That they're doing the right thing. Did y'all know church folk can get it wrong sometimes? Did y'all know that? That we can, we can have all the zeal and fervor necessary and we can get it, get it wrong? Um, it's, it's, it's like last year, uh, Philip always helps me out and sharpen my lawnmower blade, so I was going to take him off the lawnmower last year. And I had fought the year before to get my blades off the lawnmower. So I said, uh, the Lord gave me a job with good money. I'm going to go buy an impact 
wrench. And, and I'm going to make sure I can get these blades off this lawnmower. So uh, I, I go and, 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 I, and I, I get it and I, I go up to the, the, the old Western Auto, whatever it's called now, grand, grand, and I go, I need the socket size for the bolt that, that, that puts my blades on. So they go, oh, that's a, that's a seven-eighths. And so they hand me a seventh-eighth impact wrench. I buy it. I go home. I stick that thing on there. I go, and I put it on that bolt, and I go, Whoo, and it catches. And I go, uh-oh. And that's when I realized that it's a 13 sixteenths bolt and not a seventh-eighths. Y'all know what happens when you put a 13 sixteenths, I mean, a, a seven-eighths socket on a 13 sixteenths bolt and use an impact wrench? It turns it completely sideways, and it gets stuck about halfway in. You know, you know how I eventually got that bolt out of that socket? Me and Bob worked on it. Judy may not even remember. It was last year, pre-COVID. That's when we could still hug each other and do all that kind of stuff. But we had to get it in a vice grip and take a hammer and just beat it until it f- fell out. I thought we'd never get it out of there. Bob did, too. We used all every tool that he had to get it undone but I thought I was going to make quick work of it I thought it was going to go great I was, I was so excited to play with my new tools and I did more damage than good I almost messed up the whole shooting match uh, with it in the church we can do that a lot we can we can be well-intentioned and still do the wrong thing and, and I think that's where Jesus' words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, I think a lot of times in my ministry, the Lord goes, forgive him. He, don't, he doesn't know what he's doing. If, if we had to summarize it in southern ease, how would we, we say it? How would we say that, those last words of Jesus on the cross? He'd be up on the cross and he'd say what? Bless their hearts. <laughs> right? Bless their hearts. That's, that's what he'd say. Bless their hearts. They don't know. <laughs> they ain't got a lick of sense in their head. They don't, they don't know what they're doing at all. Um, so that's, that's what he said. Bless their hearts. That's the first words that he says on the cross. Um, and, and that's how he uh, gets around. The second words, and I'm trying to keep an eye on my time because there's seven and I'm on one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to, to get, get through it. On the, the next words out of his mouth uh, come from Luke 23, 32, and then 39 through 43. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. One of the criminals, who were hanged there, kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now paradise in uh, the, the original translation could better be understood as the king's garden. The king's garden. 
Now, the king's garden was usually an elaborate garden. It, sometimes it had animals, like a zoo, and, and all kinds of stuff. And as a reward for king, the king's loyal subjects, they were often given the privilege of entering and, and seeing and enjoying the king's garden. If we want to take it a step further... Think of it this way, and I can't remember which study it was that brought this up that I took, but it said, where did everything go wrong for mankind and womankind? In the garden. In the garden of Eden. And where did Jesus make it right? In in the garden where his tomb was. And he told the criminal that he would be with him today in the garden. And when Mary comes up, she mistakes Jesus for who? The gardener. Isn't it funny that that's how it all works out? So we see this creative God. When I say creative, I don't mean like imaginative. I mean this creative, out-of-nothing God who likes to work and get His hands dirty, making creation, forming His creation. But in the garden, when we messed up, what happened? We got cast out of the garden. And not only did we get cast out, we were never allowed back in. But Jesus tells him, Today, you will be with me in the King's garden. So those words, through his suffering, death, and resurrection, he removed the curse. Um, you know, there's a lot of this, there's a lot of theology around the curse of man. Uh, and the curse of man and how from Adam through, through the present, the curse of sin is, is rampant. That's one of the reasons um, you see a lot of emphasis on the virgin birth. Because if it's a virgin birth, it didn't come through Adam, it came, you know, came through the females, but th- we're not going to get into all, all that. Uh, there's no need for it. I don't think it makes or breaks the whole thing. I don't think it's, I don't think original sin is genetic, so I don't think it matters much. But just know that this garden metaphor goes through the whole thing. Um, uh, but I do like the fact that his second words are to criminals. I saw a post on Facebook the other day said said be like Jesus, uh, hang out with the wrong crowd. Uh, it said uh, uh, it said hang out with the wrong crowd, make religious folk mad. He said that's that's be like Jesus. That's how you're like Jesus. You hang out with sinners. He gets that's his, that's the number one charge against Jesus throughout most of the the scripture. He hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors and now he's with thieves and and we just see that he treats everybody like they matter and he doesn't just treat them like they matter here's the thing about the scripture they do matter they do matter everybody matters um uh so we want to be be uh have that emphasis there that 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 Jesus makes it right and he offers it to Christians and non-Christians alike. That was a big thing back then because the salvation of God, the covenant of God was with who? The Jews. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, it was opened up to Gentiles as well. The third words of Jesus from the cross, 
are the ones that always confuse me the, the most. It's kind of, uh, Y'all ever been to a real long show or Broadway show or movie uh, or, or been listening to a, a program and they go, and now a word from our sponsor. Or they go, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be right back. Often when I get these words, this is in John 19, 25 through 27. When I hear these words, I go, this is an interesting aside. Because uh, he's making all these profound statements like what? You'll be with me in paradise, and, and Father, forgive them. And then it goes, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, uh, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Why did, you know, that's included on purpose. Everything in there is included on purpose. What's that included for? Um, most, uh, a lot of scholars say that Jesus is performing the, the, the responsibility of the eldest son. Remember, we talked a lot about, uh, and when we did Esther, y'all remember Esther? That was so long ago, like, four weeks ago but when we talked about Esther we talked a lot about responsibility and how that passed who was supposed to take care of Mary because Joseph ain't been mentioned in a good many chapters so Joseph Joseph's gone on I hate to tell spoiler alert Joseph's dead Um, if you didn't know it the last time Joseph is mentioned is way back so Jesus is supposed to be the one that takes on the responsibility and so in this last moment he looks and goes to the beloved disciple, who's not named here. Everybody assumes John, although I heard a theologian one time uh, propose that it was Lazarus. Um, that's, that's an interesting proposal. It's not one that I'm ready to dismiss, but I'm also not ready to take it up either. Uh, because why do they say that Lazarus might be the beloved disciple? Because when he, when he raises it, when he sees the, he, they talk about him as the one that Jesus loved you know this this mary and martha's brother whom jesus loved so he could be beloved um john could be beloved too uh, we don't know i don't like to read in if it says beloved disciple guess what i'm just gonna say it's a beloved disciple i don't need to know i don't care uh which one it was uh, but the beloved disciple but he says take care and it did say what and from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. Now, if it's John, that's going to be hard. But Lazarus, guess where Lazarus lives? He lives in around. He lives outside of Jerusalem. So, neither here nor there. Don't don't file charges on me and go. I'm being heretical. It, I, I, that ain't a hill I'm dying on, friends. Uh, but either way, Jesus is taking care of his mother, which is weird to me because he nearly got thrown off a cliff in 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 his hometown of Nazareth. Why? Because he wasn't taking care of his mother. His brothers and sisters did not like him for most of his life. Why? Because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So don't ever forget that as you're reading. If you wonder why they want to throw him off a cliff, um, that's probably why. But uh, 
We also see that Jesus takes a moment to acknowledge the ladies who are there. Uh, Women are an essential part of Jesus' ministry. An essential part of Jesus' ministry. I always like to emphasize that men get all the credit, but as any preacher worth their salt knows, women make the church go round. And not just this church, any church. I hate it for us guys, but women make churches go round. And it was the same way in Jesus' day. In fact, I had somebody tell me one time that the first preacher of the gospel was a woman, right? Mary, run and tell. That sounds like good news to me. Uh, it sounds like a good sermon to me. And so she runs off. But you see that, see that throughout. Even Paul, who folk give credit to telling women to cover their heads and all that stuff. Paul greets women in his church and talks about their important roles all the time. So we shouldn't overlook that. But behold your son, behold your mother. We get that in the third one. Oh, I'm doing well. Session four. Session four, or word four, says this. Uh, from Mark's gospel, the 15th chapter, verses 33 through 36. It's like that son is just saying, where are you standing? And it's just going to keep following me around. So, Mark 15, 33 through 36. And if there's one thing blue eyes have taught me, it's that the sun is my enemy. Um, but it says this. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. I never can say that. Sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. So we have two parts of this last saying, right? You've got, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the second verse, part of the verse, is about the, the sour wine on a stick. When I was in seminary, I took a class called The Theology of God, which is a pretty big scope for a class. But one of the books they made us read was Jurgen Moltmann, which is just as fun as it sounds, Jurgen Moltmann's The Crucified God. Let me just put it to you this way. I read that book. I, I still know what it said, but I read it. And they, there was this old joke that at a theology conference, somebody ran up to a German theologian and said, uh, have you heard they've just translated Moltmann's works into English? And the German scholar said, that's good. We ain't translated them into German yet. Um, it's just impossible reading. But the question he asked in one of those chapters nearly broke a room full of preachers. It is a class full of preachers who are deep in theological discussion about this question. Did God really turn his back on Jesus? And if Jesus is God, how did God turn his back on Jesus? Now, I ain't going to solve that in two minutes right now. But that's something for you to wrestle with in your own devotional time because the next question was did God really die on the cross 
And a lot of the preachers said, no. And I said, if he didn't die, then we're in trouble. Because we can't be atoned for with a fake sacrifice. We can't be saved through a fake death. Uh, Plus, if Jesus didn't die, then he doesn't understand what it is to be human. Because we all die. But that also requires a divine limiting. Because I don't think God can die. But the human part of Jesus can die. Now, when, when, when we have this back-turning of God, so to speak, if, if we go there and say that that is what happened, the, 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 consent, the thought is that Jesus on the cross, like a sponge, absorbs the sins of the world. And the scripture is very plain about God and sinfulness when it says that God cannot be in the presence of sin. That it is, it is revolting to God that he, he cannot uh, have that level of unrighteousness. So as Jesus absorbs the sin of the world, he becomes un... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not unappealing, but you know what I'm talking about. It becomes too difficult for him to look upon Jesus, so he turns his back. Plus, in Moltmann's understanding, or Moltmann's thought, he can't die if God doesn't turn his back. If God doesn't cut that, that, that cord right there. So see, these are, these are difficult things. But we also have to realize that Jesus is quoting Scripture too, right? It's a psalm. He's quoting a psalm. And the psalm kind of goes through this uh, tragedy, suffering, and then redemption. That, that, that scripture does. But do I think that Jesus meant that he felt forsaken by God? I think he did. I think he did. Remember the garden? What did he say? If we can take this away, let's take it away. If we can do away with it, let's do away with it. I would much rather do that. And then God goes, no. And, and it's, easy, it's easy to understand God telling you no when you're in a garden. But when you're hanging on a cross with a, a nail through your wrist and a nail through the bones in your ankle and you can't breathe, and you've been beaten within an inch of your life, and your lungs are filling, filling with fluid, and now somebody has stuck a sour wine in your face when, you, when you're so dehydrated and thirsty that you can't stand it, I'm sure you feel uh, isolated from God. And you feel cut off from God. So I don't blame Jesus for asking or saying, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned from me? Um, but he's, it's all in, in God's redemptive plan. But Jesus teaches us through that that suffering and sacrifice are essential characteristics uh, of the, the Christian walk. I was talking to a preacher uh, this week, and, and they're doing Easter a little bit differently. Uh, we're going to have our regular services uh, we'll have drive-in and we'll have both of our regular inside. I, and I'm going to send out a survey in a minute 
to see if anybody's interested in, in a fellowship hall option during the 11 o'clock where you can spread out more and it won't be the big crowd because I anticipate it'll be full and that may make people uncomfortable. But th- this church is trying to get around it by doing outside service. They're just doing one giant outside service. And they sent out that they were doing one giant outside service. And do you know, do you, and they're celebr- what do they celebrate? The resurrection of the Lord who died on a cross for our sins and sacrifice. What's the number one email you think they've gotten since they sent out that, that they're doing an outside service? Nope, nope. That would, be, that would actually be a, val- that would be a valuable email. The email is this. No, they, they ain't even worried about masks. Uh, the, the one email they got more than anything else is, my children's Easter clothes might be ruined. If we have to be outside, they may get grass stains or that. And I go, Lord forbid that you be inconvenienced for the resurrection of the Lord. And we laugh at it, but we, we're all guilty of it, right? We're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of saying that we will suffer for Jesus until we actually have to suffer for Jesus I don't want to disparage anybody, but do y'all remember uh, the drive-in Sunday that it was like four degrees and the wind was blowing 900 miles an hour? I got, I got 18 emails telling me we should cancel because people were concerned for, for me, which they should be. I hate the, the cold. As you can tell in the sanctuary right now, I prefer... I prefer 900 degrees. It's my, it's my happy spot. Uh, so I was miserable. But I, every email I sent back, I go, thank you for your concern. But if people in China can be beaten for the gospel, I can stand outside for an hour and be cold. I'm not trying to be a martyr. I'm just saying sometimes we get so wrapped up in convenience that we don't understand sacrifice. And I don't want us to be like that. And I'm not lifting myself up like that. There are people that have sacrificed a lot more than standing in the cold for an hour uh, for Jesus. But we've got to get past that because uh, Jesus demonstrated it. Now, now the next words are the, some of the shortest of the words. Uh, I thirst. I'll just summarize it. Um, I could give you the whole thing. They give him a thing of sour wine. It's just I thirst. What, why, why would the gospel writers include that in there? Pretty simple. Woof, there's a bug. What are y'all doing to me? I'm suffering in all kinds of ways today. Uh, it, it looks like a dirt dauber to me. <laughs> it could have been a wasp. It didn't sting me. If it was a wasp, it would have probably got me. Um, but uh, th- there's been two heresies that have reared their ugly head in the church from the beginning of the church up until the present day. One says that Jesus was really a man and not God. And the other said that Jesus was God and not really a man. So when you put in there, I thirst, what are you hitting on the head? He is a dude. I don't know if I can call Jesus a dude. Jesus is a dude who is suffering. 
It's not, a, it's not pretend. It's, it's not a hologram Jesus. It's not this, this God Jesus that doesn't feel. He feels it. And from, I don't know that they needed to include it for the disciples because they knew Jesus the man. But I think they knew that 2,000 years from now, we would need to understand. We understand Jesus is God. Great. We don't always understand Jesus as, as, as man. So our thirst reminds us that Jesus uh, was really uh, human. Because on, on, on multiple occasions, we see his humanity come out. Now, you, some folk think that sour wine is hyssop, um, which was referred to in Exodus 12, 22. Um, I, I don't need to read that much into it. I see I thirst. I think, okay, Jesus is, is having a human moment there. He's having a human moment that we need to deal with. Now, the next, and I'm running short on time. Let's see, the next, uh, the next, ses- uh, the next words come from both John's gospel and Luke's gospel. Uh, so let's look at John 19.30 first. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And then Luke 23 says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. It's finished. What's finished? Several things are finished. His life is finished. The curse is finished. The separation from God is finished. God's plan for the redemption of creation is finished. Um, The Romans are finished. They just don't know it yet. Everything is finished. It's finished. I always like to think of it this way, though. It's finished, but it's really just getting started. Or as one preacher say, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's finished. And it says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last. It's important to understand he breathed his last means what? He died. Jesus died. Uh, So we see him uh, dead there. Uh, Jesus' last words on the cross were a prayer quoted from Psalm 31. So this is a quote from Psalm 31 uh, that we see there. Psalm 31, if you want, we can read it real quick. Psalm 31. I should have had it marked. My mother used to always fuss. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock and refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I think we, we underplay sometimes the amount of times Jesus actually quotes Scripture in what he says. Um, but he's, he's quoting Scripture 
right there. Now, we talk about the curtain. What's the curtain about? Y'all may not remember. In the temple, there's a curtain, and it separates the regular worship space from the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was, um, or where God supposedly lived. Remember, in the ancient world, God lived somewhere. So God lived in the Holy of Holies. And the priests got to go in there once in a while. Once a year, yeah. Once a year. And it, by the time you were usually allowed to go in there, you were old. Because when it's once a year, your turn doesn't come around. So you were old. So here's what they do. If you died in there, they couldn't go get you. Because one person, once a year. So you'd go one person, once a year. So they'd tie a rope around you so if you died, they could pull you out which is always funny to me. Um, it, we could pull you out. I always thought, there, I've, uh, Pat probably could tell you too, I've worked for some senior pastors. I wanted a rope because they'd be preaching sometimes. I, I want to pull them out. Let's, let's, just, let's just stop. Uh, you died long ago in that pulpit. Let's, uh, let's put that sermon down. But, but that's what they do. And when Jesus dies, the, the curtain is torn. Which that curtain is not, this is not like drapes in your house. That curtain was a, a curtain. And it tore so you get the earthquakes and the darkening of the sky and the curtain torn. And that centurion's going, yep, uh, probably shouldn't have done this. That kind of thing. So that's, that's, uh, that's his last words. Now if we're going to, so we kind of combine the last two there. It is finished and into your hands I commit my spirit. But then we get the words after that. And we can look at those after Holy Week. Those are the words that Jesus says before he leaves the second time. After he's resurrected and before he leaves. Did y'all know that the first Bible was not the Bible like we've got? The first century church didn't have this. They didn't even have the Gospels. The Gospels weren't written until about 60 to 75 A.D. John's Gospel wasn't written until 100 so you had a couple of generations of Christians that didn't have any gospel. So they survived on Paul's letters and what they had pieced together, which was called the sayings of Jesus. So here's what happened in the early church. Jesus died. He, went, he was resurrected. Then he ascended in the early church. He, when he goes back up, what do they do? You remember? They look up. And they look up for so long that the angel has to come and tell them what? Stop. He's gone. And I imagine the first meeting at the first church after he was gone was, I didn't think he was leaving. And then somebody else goes, me either. And then they go, did anybody write anything down? They go, oh. And they go, what did he say? And then somebody goes, he said this. And somebody goes, write that down. And then they go, he said this. And somebody goes, write that down. And somebody goes, remember the time he did this. And somebody goes, write that down. And so the early church just had what they called the sayings of Jesus. Now, are these the only seven words Jesus said on the cross? I don't know. But these were important enough that somebody remembered them and wrote them down. So they're pretty significant, and we need to remember that as we go into Holy Week. An emphasis on what? God's redemptive plan, 
Jesus' willing sacrifice, Jesus' humanity, and then the completion of God's plan, but also the end of Jesus' life, at least for a few days. That's the story that I wanted to push us into Holy Week with. Any questions on those seven last words that we talked about? All right. Well, like I said, this Sunday's Palm Sunday. Kids are going to wave palms. And I always tell people, come back for Monday, Thursday, because otherwise you miss the crucifixion uh, story altogether. Uh, so I don't, like it. I don't like it when church folk go from parade to, to resurrection. That, that, sounds, that sounds very um, shallow to me. You need all that other stuff in there. Any other questions? All right. Well, let's, let's pray together then. Lord, you have sacrificed greatly for us and we have received from your bountiful blessing. As we move into the holiest of weeks, we pray your, your spirit would give us a spirit of attention and, and deliberation and repentance as we seek to be more faithful to you. Lord, may we see what you've done before it's too late and surrender of ourselves equally. Lord, guide, guard, and direct us and bring us back safely. These things we ask in your name. Amen.